back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. This is Karen. And this is Kathy. Today, we will be discussing episodes 13 and 14 with a little bit of a tail end of episode 12 of the story of Ming Lan or Zhufo, Zhufo, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. This podcast is in English, obviously, uh, with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases said in Mandarin Chinese. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter, or else email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com if you have any questions. For today's episode, we will do first an episode recap and then discuss some character analysis um, as and also history um, as we you know go through some key topics in these two episodes. All right, let's get started. The theme of these episodes will be this Chinese idiom, or misfortune comes from the mouth. Or in layman's terms, watch what you blab to others because it might come back to bite you. There are two main storylines uh, that we'll discuss today. One involving Gu Tingye and his family, and the other involving the Sheng family. Let's focus on Gu Tingye's family first. So I want to start with the very end of episode 12, and episode 12 we're following based on the YouTube version that is posted. Gu Tingye's father, the Marquis, pays a visit to the examiner to try and understand why his son didn't perform very well on those exams. The examiner, at first hesitant, divulges the reason. For all of the talk that Gu Tingye's father himself says that he doesn't care about Gu Tingye, he is still willing to go and talk to the examiner to understand the reason. So it really does show that he does care about his son. Unfortunately, the Marquis is absolutely furious when he returns home. When he hears that his son, Gu Tingye, is once again passed out due to drink, he lashes out at his son and expresses his disappointment for his carelessness. Turns out, Gu Tingye was actually good enough to place in the exams and become a Jin Shi graduate. But his name was personally stripped from the list by none other than the emperor himself. Why? Because the emperor heard that Gu Tingye voiced his sympathies for a Mr. Yang Wuduan. The emperor was so enraged at this, not only did he purge Gu Tingye's name from the Jin Shi graduates list, but he also decreed that as with this Mr. Yang Wuduan, Gu Tingye will not be allowed to partake in any more imperial examinations until the age of 50. That's crazy and super harsh. So who was this Yang Wuduan? We're kind of discussing history now, but uh, thought it would be interesting to include this tidbit here. Yang Wuduan does not exist in history, but there is a real-life counterpart called Liu Yong. Born in 984 AD, he was a major contributor to developing Song Dynasty poetry and its unique styles. However, he did not have much luck when it came to the imperial examinations. 
By the time he took his first imperial examination at the age of 25, he was already a well-known poet. However, the subjects and topics of his poetry were often about brothels and singers. This was unseemly for the conventional styles of the time. The emperor, Song Zhenzong, or the father of the current emperor of this drama himself, was displeased with Liu Yong's poetry. After boasting that he will rise to the top of the list for the imperial examinations, Liu Yong was shocked to find out that he didn't even place. The emperor probably had something to do with it. Liu Yong was pissed and wrote an actual lovely poem called He Chongtian Huang Jing Bang Shang, criticizing the imperial exam, stating that the title of a Jin Shu graduate was nothing but an empty title. In the poem, he wrote, I'll find more happiness with the women in the brothels. Okay, I'm not doing the poem any justice, but that's the main gist. The emperor, hearing this, of course was pissed. Liu Yong tried three more times. On his fourth try, at the age of 40, he was still denied a spot as a Jin Shu graduate. By this point, it is now the reign of Song Renzong, our current emperor. He basically held the same grudge as his father against Liu Yong and didn't approve of Liu Yong still finding pleasure within the brothels. Kind of like a man-child, I would assume. Finally, at the age of 50, Liu Yong became a Jin Shu graduate because of certain reforms enacted on the imperial exams. He only became a lowly bureaucrat and died pretty much a pauper in 1053 AD. He is mainly remembered today for his poems and was influential in creating the Wan Yue Pai, or what I would guess you could translate to as the graceful and restrained style of poetry during the Song Dynasty. Back to Gu Tingye. Gu Tingye is incredulous at hearing this news. Yes, he voiced his sympathies for this Yang Wuduan, but that was when he was 12. How can the emperor himself have found out about something like this? And this takes us directly to episode 13. Gu Tingye rushes to his older brother Gu Tingyu's residence and begins to interrogate him. Apparently, the only person who overheard him saying this all those years ago was his older brother while Gu Tingye was practicing calligraphy. Gu Tingye is incredulous that his brother would be this vile. Who else could have blabbed? And when your brother was 12 too? His brother, though, swears on his life that he did nothing of the sort. Their father quickly cuts Gu Tingye off from harming his brother, all the while scolding Gu Tingye that if he hadn't said those things out loud, who could have overheard him? In a strict society dominated by imperial rule, it's not like you really have freedom of speech. So I guess in a way, his father does have a point. The Marquis is disappointed that his son will not own up to his mistakes and hasn't over the years. Gu Tingye, though, is adamant that whenever anything wrong happens, it's always his fault. And he storms out. Let me put this out there to the audience. Who do you think did blab to the emperor? Is it Gu Tingyu, Gu Tingye's elder brother, or someone else? 
Let's think, who can blab to the emperor? What if everyone in this situation is right? Gu Tingye's older brother didn't say anything. Gu Tingye also hasn't done many of the things that he's been accused of. The Marquis also isn't dismissing everything Gu Tingye has done. Could there be like a darker force at work here? The first time I saw this scene, at first I'm like, somebody must be lying. Like, there's something going on here. But maybe everyone is telling the truth. Hmm. Mm, no, if you look in later episodes, and this is one a scene where you have to have repeated viewings, when Gu Tingye returns after trials and tribulations, there is a conversation in episode, I think it's 37, where he raises this topic up again. And you can see that uh, Gu Tingyu, his older brother, is you know, averting his gaze. And so from that, I do think Gu Tingyu here is lying. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, but this is quite good acting on Gu Tingyu's part then, right? While dejected and feeling utterly hopeless, Gu Tingye retires to his little residence outside of the Marquis Manor, where he laments his misfortunes over more drink. The kind Chang Moma tries to cheer him up. Gu Tingye decides that he'll move his family out of the capital and search for another way at life, and they make preparations to leave soon after. Gu Tingye's mistress, Man Yang, on the other hand, is taking care of the children inside. She cannot hide her disappointment that not only did Gu Tingye not do well on the exams, but he also decided to cut ties with his family. She plainly states to her daughter, Rongjie, that they probably won't have a stable life. She begins to devise a scheme and asks for a trinket from her daughter. The next day, and I'm going to be honest, these aren't my favorite scenes. Whenever I see anything do like or that has to do with Manyang, I'm like, oh, let's fast forward. But we will recount it here for the sake of the audience. Anyways, the next day, Manyang continues the pretense that she loves Gu Tingye for him. Nothing more. Let's just all roll our eyes collectively at that. He's still painfully oblivious that Manyang does not want a quiet life of a country girl, but that's all he can promise her right now. Gu Tingye leaves to buy some supplies as servants are busy cleaning and packing. Right after Gu Tingye leaves, Manyang also tries to leave the house, but Chang Momo stops her. Chang Momo, like we've said before, sees right through Manyang and her superficialness. Maybe it's a woman's intuition or just frankly... Manyang doesn't pretend when Gu Tingye is not around. Chang Momo asks a question I always ask Gu Tingye. What do you see in Manyang? Well, under the pretense of talking to her children, Manyang quietly opens a side door. Before long, her daughter Rongjie sneaks out to try to buy some candy. Manyang quote-unquote rushes out to find her daughter before Chang Momo can stop her. And where do they go? The Marquis' manor, of course. They aren't allowed in, and the two just loiter for a bit, but Manyang purposefully drops the trinket from her daughter. Who just so happens to be spying in on this scene? The current madam of the house, the Marchioness, or Qin Danyangzi. Gu Tingye returns to find Chang Momo frantically trying to find Manyang. He gathers pretty quickly where they might have gone. 
Okay, Karen. So does he think that she went there herself? Or do you think that he thinks that she was abducted by his family? I think it could go either way, but I, I think he has an inkling that she did this. Uh, she went by herself and was not actively taken or kidnapped. Right. That's, that's my feeling too. Regardless, Man Young got her wish and is brought to the Marquis himself. The Marquis is, again, furious with this whole situation and bluntly asks what she wants. To his credit, right now at least, he only insults his son. But he doesn't verbally demean Man Yang and Rong Jie yet. Man Yang stands up and gives a whole story on how she's of low birth and knows she isn't worth any status. But for the children, especially her son, all she wants is to stay by Gu Tingye's side as a tie shi or a concubine. The Marquis immediately turns down this request. There's no way a lowly singer will enter the Marquis Manor. The Marquis orders his servants to throw them out. He dispenses with the niceties and claims that there's no way a whore will become a concubine. The Marchioness tries to placate him, but listen to her words. What about Gu Tingye? We need to think about him, right? This just adds fuel to the flame, and the Marquis orders the servants to hurry up and throw them out. Well, right then, Gu Tingye rushes in to save Man Yang and their daughter, and declares to his father that he will admit her into the family. This is very important. Listen to the word he says. He says na, which means to admit as a concubine. He does not say the word chu, which means marry. There is a huge difference, as we've mentioned before. Father and son get into another argument. The Marquis is furious at the existence of this woman. Who will marry Gu Tingye now? Which respectable woman would marry Gu Tingye? Gu Tingye declares that if no one will marry him, that's fine. Then he won't marry and resolutely breaks ties with his father. He states to his father, my mother was tricked into this marriage, which is why she died and storms off. His father is utterly perplexed. No one tricked his mother. What is he talking about? I don't know if I believe this. Gu Tingyu, Gu Tingye's older brother, watches the scene from afar and laments that if only Gu Tingye was his brother from the same mother, everything would be different. Unfortunately, Gu Tingye's mother is that evil woman that killed his mother or the older brother Gu Tingyu's mother. And so Gu Tingyu must do everything to get rid of Gu Tingye. He sighs at this turn of events. This closes Gu Tingye's storyline for these episodes. We will talk more about uh, more about this in the analysis portion of our podcast episode today. The rest of the episode for episode 13 and episode 14 is again about troubles that come from being overly talkative. After court one day, Sheng Hong is requested to remain in the palace by a palace eunuch. Sheng Hong is led into an empty room in the palace and left there to just wait. And wait. And wait. It's been, I guess, over a day and he's still waiting. This has never happened before and understandably, the Sheng family is extremely worried. 
every single person tries to figure out who to speak to in order to gather information on what happened. Sheng Changbai, the eldest son, seeks out Gu Tingye and then Qi Heng, the young duke's mother. Qi Heng's servant sneaks info to Ming Lan's maid. Wang Lan Yangzi, or Madame Wang, is the one who freaks out the most and rushes to speak to Grandma Sheng about this whole debacle. Grandma Sheng, though, wise as she is, analyzes the situation and explains that the current emperor is known for his generous disposition. He won't randomly kill an official. She shares an anecdote where the emperor once didn't have water available when he was thirsty during an important meeting. But instead of making a big scene of this because it would mean that the palace eunuchs serving him would have been punished, he waited instead for a long time until he returned to the empress's rooms to drink water. The emperor himself was definitely parched, but out of kindness, chose to stay thirsty rather than let his eunuchs be punished. This shows that the emperor is not one to just randomly kill people, such as Sheng Hong. That is currently the primary worry of the family, that Sheng Hong did something wrong and that the emperor intends to kill him. Grandma Sheng instructs Wang Danyangzi to keep her composure. She is the madam of the family, after all, and has to keep the family afloat while they wait for news about Sheng Hong. Wang Danyangzi isn't very pleased to hear this. She thinks that because Grandma Sheng is not Sheng Hong's birth mother, Grandma Sheng doesn't care. Do we believe this? No. Wang Danyangzi just doesn't understand Grandma Sheng's words of wisdom. Also, Grandma Sheng has seen way more, and Wang Danyangzi is right now just like freaking out. It's quite funny, but girl, get a grip. Finally, it clicks on Wang Danyangzi that she's supposed to take this opportunity to clean house, or in other words, get rid of Lin Xiaoyang. Okay, I don't think that's exactly what Grandma Sheng was implying, but that's what Wang Danyangzi heard. I'm going to pause and also say Wang Danyangzi's uh, main maid, Liu Mama, is just over there like, oh my god, my master is so not smart. <laughs> I can like kind of feel her eyes rolling. Like she doesn't, but she's just like, okay, we finally got here. <laughs> chop, chop. <laughs> so is the Sheng family really in trouble? Not entirely. Grandma Sheng accurately deduced that if Sheng Hong was really in trouble, people like Qi Hong and his mother would not so easily be able to garner information about Sheng Hong's whereabouts. This means that the emperor doesn't care too much that people know, and it's actually probably a scary tactic of sorts. Sheng Hong's position in court is also too low to have made any major mistake. None of the mistakes that could have happened would have been enough to kill Sheng Hong, so they just have to wait. Unfortunately, this line of thinking is not shared by anyone in the family, particularly Lin Xiaoyang. She right now is just looking for ways to sell off property in order to have some cash on hand in case she needs to run. Just look at the difference, will you? Wang Danyangzi is there worried about her husband, while Lin Xiaoyang only cares about herself. As if we didn't need any other reason to hate her, but we do hear why she's like this. 
Apparently, her own father went missing for a day and never came back. Next thing she knew, she and her mother were sold off and all of their wealth were confiscated. Lin Xiangyang does not want this to happen again, which is why she's so eager to sell off property for cash. Lin Xiangyang's maid was instructed to go out and look for buyers. Only one person, though, is interested in the properties, but he needs the owner to be present to confirm the deeds or paperwork so that A, he can make sure that they're not stolen, and B, actually get a signature. With no other choice, Lin Xiangyang and her maid head out to meet this unknown man. As of this was not evident enough, but going out and meeting unknown men by yourself is just not something you do as a woman, unfortunately. Again, patriarchal society. And sure enough, this man is rather grabby and not respectful of Lin Xiangyang. He isn't willing to accept the price. And he also doesn't let her leave when she tries to. He pushes her into the room where they're meeting and gets quite grabby. At this point, a large posse of servants bursts into the room and tie the three up. Lin Xiangyang and the buyer are bound and gagged and tossed into carriages waiting outside. This brings us to episode 14. The people who arrived are none other than Wang Danyang's maids. They thought they were capturing Lin Xiangyang cheating. Well, this is not exactly what happened. It still does not look good for Lin Xiangyang at all. All of this was happening while Sheng Hong was stuck in the palace by his lonesome. Also, this is only like one day. It's unfortunate because Wang Danyang doesn't have the highest intellect, so... In episode 14, we are largely left being frustrated at Wang Danyang's inability to get rid of Lin Xiangyang, or even score a win. We'll talk about uh, the rest of the episode, but man, was this frustrating. Lin Xiangyang is tied up and forced to sign a statement saying that she was committing adultery. Like we said, this is not true, but Wang Danyang doesn't care. She caught Lin Xiangyang and needs to take this opportunity to banish her from the house. I will give props also to the drama. Lin Xiangyang actually looks like she's tied. Like, she's 100% tied. Some other dramas, it's just like a, like a loose um, tie on the wrist, and you're just like, um, is this real? <laughs> the best part of all of this, though, is Grandma Sheng's reaction when she hears the news that Lin Xiangyang was caught with another man. You have to look at this scene because she does a little side glance and immediately clutches her chest to start falling down. Why does she do this? She's feigning illness in order to give Wang Danyangzi the authority in the house. We all know, and Grandma Sheng knows for sure, that Wang Danyangzi hates Lin Xiangyang. So this prevents Lin Xiangyang from begging Grandma Sheng for leniency. Similarly, when Sheng Hong returns, he can't go blaming Grandma Sheng for not doing anything if she's sick. I'm telling ya, Grandma Sheng is best. But mm, again, Wang Danyangzi is just such a disappointment. She just can't get things done. Wang Danyangzi even had a ya pozi, or what's translated to as like a human broker. I don't know if trafficker is the right word here, but they are in the business of selling people. For men, 
This can be sold as servants in various roles for women. This can be from maids to concubines or even wives. Problem is that Changfeng the third son or Lin Xiangyang's son broke out the tied up buyer and came to the main hall to argue. Things got so bad that Lin Xiangyang and Changfeng even told a few servants to go raise the issue in their version of court so an official can make a decision. Obviously, we can't have that. Otherwise, the entire world would know that Lin Xiangyang was captured with an outside man. Even if this was just doing business, it would be a humiliation on the Sheng family. So a big no-no here. But again, Lin Xiangyang does not care about this. So after seeing that this probably won't work in getting rid of Lin Xiangyang, Ming Lan, at the behest of her grandmother, steps in to share orders that Lin Xiangyang is to be beaten 20 times. Wang Danyangzi is also to remain in her rooms. Wang Danyangzi at least is really excited for Lin Xiangyang to get this punishment and goes a little overboard by instructing that Changfeng be the one to enact this punishment. Like, yeah, that's a little bit too much. You're not supposed to be beating your mother in any sense of the word. Like, no matter how terrible she is, you just should not be beating your mother. Uh, here, I also think Chang Feng should have protested more. Like, yeah, this, he, uh, yeah. yeah, he really didn't protest too much. I mean, he was upset, but like, he still did it. Luckily, at this point, Wang Danyang's eldest daughter, Hua Lan, returns home. I do love Hualan. She's understanding, calculating, and patient. All of the qualities that her mother does not have. I don't know how she turned out that well. Okay, yes, I do know because she was brought up and raised by Grandma Sheng as well. So I think there's something there that Grandma Sheng knows what she's doing. Well, at night, Hualan explains that what her mother did earlier that night was too extreme and this could come back to bite her. The next day, after all of this is happening at home, Sheng Hong is finally released from the palace, and he, on his wobbly legs, stumbles home. Even though Wang Danyangzi can't get rid of Lin Xiangyang, I'm laughing when she hears that Sheng Hong returns. The way she screams at seeing him and falls into his arms... Or like, just, collapses? Yeah, just has me chuckling. I feel bad, but she's so funny. She's like, Guanjin. I mean, here we can see that she actually does care for Sheng Hong, but she's just so funny. Clearly, though, something not great happened, but Sheng Hong isn't ready to discuss this yet. After a brief visit to Grandma Sheng's place to uh, uh, give his greetings, Wang Danyangzi takes care of Sheng Hong for dinner. While at dinner, Lin Xiaoyang brings her two children along to see their father. She's definitely hoping that this will help soften the blow for her misdeeds and also try to one-up Wang Danyangzi. Like, say something first before Wang Danyangzi can um, kind of tattle. But when Changfeng speaks, this actually infuriates his father even more. Why is that? It turns out that the whole reason why Sheng Hong was accosted in the palace for two days was because Chang Feng spoke about who should be heir in public. 
Remember, this was right after Changfeng didn't place in the uh, imperial exam in episode 12. He got drunk and openly praised Prince Yan or Yan Wang to be the next heir. Well, someone shared this piece of info with none other than the emperor himself. After a day of confinement, the emperor came to see Sheng Hong to share that his son was expressing his views out in public. This must be because Sheng Hong talks about this back at home. Otherwise, why would his son have such views? This is really the crucial piece of information is that if your son says this, I'm only assuming that you say this in your own home. The emperor is clearly displeased at this point. And here is where Sheng Hong has Ming Lan to thank. Sheng Hong remembered that in this debate back in episode 11, Ming Lan said that why should they debate the topic of who should be the heir? Instead, they should all just be loyal subjects. That is the proper path. This line calms the emperor down in an instant, and he lets Sheng Hong go. And here I am wondering why Sheng Hong isn't nicer to Minglan. She literally saved him from possible death or exile. You would think this is all over now, but nope. Sheng Hong has to return home to his own family drama. So he's feeding Changfeng and just being really, really upset. Come on, and also Wang Nianzi. This is like a tee-up. Oh my god, you're so frustrating this episode. Wang Nianzi, hoping that because Changfeng made such a big mistake, she could also use it to bring down Lin Xiangyang. But Lin Xiangyang fights back by exposing that Wang Nianzi participated in creating high-interest loans, basically behaving as a loan shark. Not only that, but using the money to help her mother's side of the family. This caused quite a bit of trouble, and there is even a court case over it. This here infuriates Sheng Hong even further. To be honest, I'm surprised he hasn't passed out from anger yet. If he was any older, I would have expected him to spew blood. Sheng Hong is probably thinking, man, I was confined in the palace because my idiot of a son couldn't keep his mouth shut. And I come back to see my mistress trying to sell property for cash and my wife also trying to make a quick buck that has now landed in court. It's almost comical how much this guy has to deal with. And that brings us to the end of the episode in which Wang Danyanzi wastes away this perfect opportunity to get rid of her rival. And Lin Xiangyang kind of is just skating by. Well, what did we think about uh, these two episodes? I will give an A plus to acting for Wang Danyangzi because, man, she did an amazing job. And she just has the best lines. When Sheng Hong reveals um, what exactly Cheng Feng did, she says the words, Ta tian da huo. And I love the translation on YouTube. It's sky falling calamity, which is a really good translation. And I love how Sheng Hong turns around and immediately repeats that because that's exactly what type of mistake Cheng Bai did. You know, I'll, I'll take that vocabulary. I never would use Ta Tian Da Huo or Sky Falling Calamity, 
but I'll take it. Now let's get on with the character analysis. The first, let's start with the Gu family. The first person I want to discuss is Gu Tingye. So far in this drama, we know that he is intelligent but extremely stubborn, especially when it comes to arguments against his father. He enjoys the good life but is willing to rough it out. He has crazy relatives and his family relations are strained. He isn't married but already has a mistress and has fathered two children with her. This is the portrait of a complicated man. And what do we think about him? What I do like about this drama is that these characters are a product of their society and will have viewpoints and beliefs in accordance to that time. There won't be that random person or random character in the show who will all of a sudden have extremely modern notions of equality and freedom. For example, with Gu Tingye. No matter how much he verbally disavows his birth, his father's title, and claims to like Manyang, he is still a member of the aristocracy and has certain views towards women. Here's one instance shown in the episode. During his confrontation with his father, he states his intentions to admit Manyang into the family as a concubine. The word he uses, as I said before, is na instead of chu or marry. There is a huge difference. As we've seen already throughout the drama, the woman a man marries as his wife carries a ton of weight. Throughout his entire courtship with Manyang, Gu Tingye never had any intention to marry her. He will never make her his proper wife, and his children with her will only ever be Shu Chu. He is very much a product of the patriarchal society of the time. He still expects a proper wife to handle the affairs of the household and father legitimate children with her. Fathering two children with a woman outside of wedlock isn't a big deal. The most he'll do for her, for example for Manyang, is admit her into the family as a concubine. He tries to act all loving and caring to Manyang, promising to give them a good life in the countryside, but deep down, he knows that Manyang isn't up to standards, quote-unquote. Now, I will give it to Gu Tingye that Gu Tingye treats Manyang much better than most nobles do towards singers or women of the same status or even their concubines. I will give him the props for that. But in certain aspects, he's still very much old school. He won't throw away convention to marry Manyang in the name of love. Again, he does treat Manyang way better than most men, but, um, you know, for me, when I first saw this show, I was like, mm, I don't know how I feel about him, and I still don't. Well, as for Manyang, we finally get a glimpse of her ambition. She plainly states that she wants to be admitted into the Gu family as a concubine or qie. Well, why does the Marquis immediately shut down this request? Let me explain. Manyang is currently just an outside woman, or in Chinese, a wai shi. She has no status and no formal relation with the Gu family. Her children are considered bastard children and have not been added to the family genealogy. If Gu Tingye decided to up and leave her, she would be left alone with those children. 
He would be 100% fine, but she'd be left out to dry. Yes, Chinese society sucked in that way. If she was admitted as a concubine or a tie, her status would change completely. She would live in the Gu Manor and potentially rise to favor like Lin Xiangyang. She could be gifted with money and land, and her children will be listed in the family genealogy. Her son, while a Shu Chu son, or um, one not born from the main wife, he will nonetheless be able to go to school and potentially take the imperial examinations. I will not fault Nanyang for this. This is her only opportunity. She came from nothing, and she will seize any opportunity she gets. She does a master job manipulating Gu Tingye into believing that she doesn't care for his wealth nor title, um, which is why Gu Tingye does so much for her. I'm just going to say, Gu Tingye, you are extremely oblivious to the world, especially the people around you. And we see that here with Menyang and also his family. Lastly, let's consider the events that happened with regards to Gu Tingye in episode 13. He storms off and leaves the Marquis Manor with his mistress in tow. Who has the most to gain? Who was the one who allowed Manyan to enter the Gu Manor? Why, it's the Marchioness, of course, Qin Danyanzi. I only figured this out on repeated viewings of the show, but almost every argument the men have in the family has a shadow of the Marchioness in these arguments. Wu Tingye claims that his brother told the emperor. If he didn't, who else might have overheard? The Marchioness. Well, as Karen said in later episodes, it looks like Gu Tingyu, Gu Tingye's older brother, was the one who blabbed, but the Marchioness could have easily told another minister's wife, and that news could have traveled to the emperor. The Marchioness spied on Manyang when she brought her daughter to the Gu Manor, and was 100% the person to let them in. She constantly fans the flame to ignite more conflict between the Marquis and Gu Tingye, but she always acts like the loving and doting mother that she is not. With Gu Tingye gone, and the eldest son Gu Tingyu sick, the person who will most likely inherit the title will now fall to her son Gu Tingwei. Since this podcast is about analysis, I will just put it here plainly right now in this episode for our listeners to keep in mind that the Marchioness has been plotting to get the marquee title for her son for all of these years. As we continue with the drama, please keep this in mind for everything she says and every action she takes in the Gu family is to seize that title for her son. Her son's two older brothers must be taken out of the picture. And right now, it looks like she's succeeded with Gu Tingye leaving the family. And right now, she just needs Gu Tingyu to die. Now let's move on to the Sheng family. This episode also highlighted very plainly to me that unless you are the wife of the family, as a woman, you are essentially a servant. Wang Danyangzi, in episode 14, almost successfully sold Lin Xiangyang off. When the broker lady came, it was part of her day-to-day business to sell these people. She was at first hesitant because 
Uh, this broker lady has heard of Lin Xiangyang's reputation of being a favored concubine in the Sheng household, but that doesn't mean she wasn't going to do it. And to me, that is illuminating. Women in the household are seen as property, not humans. We'll talk about this in future episodes, but each person has a certain class they belong to. And, you know, we've talked about this before where members of certain classes are more preferred than others, but you also have deeds or contracts uh, that dictate the life you will live and the class you belong to. So all of the women in the household and Lin Xiaoyang are nothing more than servants. That's why it is so problematic that Sheng Hong cares for Lin Xiaoyang so much. He is neglecting his wife in favor of a concubine, which is essentially a servant, and that's not normal. As for book differences, the two major events we've discussed in episode 13 and 14 didn't actually happen in the book. In the book, though, both Sheng Hong and Wang Danyang treat Minglan much better than in the drama. Although Sheng Hong isn't very close with Minglan in the book, he nevertheless tries to make up for it. Wang Danyang also doesn't overtly favor her daughter, Rulan, and does treat Minglan pretty decently, unlike the constant discussion here where Wang Danyang prefers Rulan. And that is it for today. I do feel really bad for Sheng Hong because, you know, he was gone for a day and a half, almost two days, and his entire family is just kind of burning or on fire. Like we said, I'm surprised he hasn't passed out yet due to anger. With family like this, who needs enemies? Truly. The music you heard in this episode is the Zheng version of the main theme, music written by Yu Mian Xiaoyan and played by yours truly. If you have any questions or comments on the show or what was presented in today's episode, please let us know. Thank you all so much for listening. We will catch you in the next episode.